may it be your, be your will, Adonai, our God, that a mishap not come about through us. And may we not stumble in a matter of Torah and cause our colleagues to rejoice over us. And may we not say regarding something which is Tameh that it is Tahor. And not regarding something which is Tahor that it is Tameh. And may our colleagues not stumble in a matter of Torah and we rejoice over them. For Adonai grants wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding of God. Unveil our eyes that we may perceive wonders from your Torah. Amen. Okay. Well, we open with uh, a, a bit of sadness uh, and an opportunity for you to pray. Um, I got a call from uh, from Johnny earlier today, and uh, as you know, he was uh, kind of looking forward to having finished his class on Zadaka. And uh, he got word that his, uh, from his brother that his father was released from the hospital with an infection that evidently cannot be cured. So he was pretty much released to go home and die. That's a hard thing to hear as a son. So uh, he's, uh, he is up spending time with his, uh, with his father and uh, has asked for prayer for his ability to articulate his faith in a very real and meaningful way at this time, uh, and that his father would be comforted in these last days. Um, I'm all for praying for healing. Right? Um, how annoying to uh, not receive because we don't ask. I think we can work with that. Yeah, thank you. Um, but it's not set on HDMI. It should be VGA. Yeah, well, thank you. I've been practicing. So, I am your stand-in uh, instructor for this evening. Uh, what do you call that? A uh, substitute. Uh, it is uh, it's good to have Chris back. Missed him. Praise God. And uh, I did get a uh, very nice call from uh, Mr. Gordon who's uh, obviously uh, taking a good deal of time to uh, get his overtime and work. Oh, man, that looks actually pretty good. Pete, thank you. So, um, let's, uh, let's talk about separation. And... When we're done with this, we'll have a little bit of discussion. Is that going to work? I'm obviously not going to be able to sit, so we'll just move that out of the way. Havdalah, the separation between the seventh day and the six days of labor. That's exactly right. Um, separate and the separation that we see in the uh, creation account is the Hebrew word badal, which means, well, to separate. Pete, why don't you uh, like sit on the floor or something and swipe that thing to the left. So, um, you're, you're familiar with light from darkness. As God separated the light from the darkness, I wonder if you were to not use your electronic devices, could you tell me all the ways and things that God separated down through the scripture 
in order? Okay, so it wasn't the water from dry land as much as it was he had this canopy there and he's got the water separated from below and above. Yeah, I was kind of surprised. It's the waters under the canopy from the waters above the canopy and my head had it backwards. Now you may think, well, I mean, you're still separating the waters, Joe. What's the big deal? Well, you know what? We're not to honor our mother and our father. We're to honor our father and our mother. If God's got the order a particular way, I think we should acknowledge that. It is good to see you. How are you? So, separating the waters under the canopy from above the canopy. The next one, we're going to move out of Genesis pretty quickly, and we'll move into Exodus, I think. You get it? Not the seasons, no. No, no, it's it's a duplicate of the light and darkness thing. I don't know if you have the animals. The animal? No, no, no. He didn't use he didn't use badal in that. This is a true separation, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm looking for that word. Yeah. Shabbat? No, he doesn't use that either. No. No, he doesn't do that. We're out of, no, no. Give it, give it to him, son. They, yeah, they're going to miss it. We're already into Exodus. These are the only two times this word for separate, a specific separation, is used in Genesis or Bereshit. We move into uh, Shemot, the uh, veil separating the holy place from the most holy place. Right? Um, along those lines, you might think that there's a couple of others, uh, either in Exodus, Numbers, or Leviticus. What do you think? Holy from the common. Sure, there it is. Look, look. Who's in charge? He's in charge. Holy from common. Or in Hebrew, that would be the... That's the next one. Kadosh. Chol. Right? Kadosh and Chol. Right? Holy from common. The next one, Pete, is... Unclean from clean. We say Tamei and Tahor. Are you seeing something? Look at this. The holy place, this appears to me to be the lesser and the greater, right? The greater and the lesser. The, well, I don't know what you do with the under and the over, the canopy. Holy common seems the greater and the lesser and lesser and greater. So, hmm. I was looking for something. Maybe it's every other. I don't know, but we'll, we'll move on. So what else? What else? Can you think of what else? What, what, would, what would come after this? So you've got the creation story, some separation there. We've got the tabernacle. We've got the holy place. Then the veil, you get into the most holy. And now we've got, in Leviticus, where we're looking at holy and common, and we're looking at unclean from clean. What, what do you think is next? No. No. Sure, there it is. Actually, before the priesthood, we've got the Levites, right? Oh! Israel from the nations. He actually says, look, I've given you this to make a distinction. I want to separate you from them. He reiterates this through the Exodus story as he pulls them out of bondage, or pulls us out, as you'll hear uh, in Pesach. Yeah. It, it, it does flip. Isn't that something? All right, so now we've got Jew and Gentile. And then finally, the Levites from the people of Israel. And then, in fact, more refined, right? 
we've got this Aaron and his sons from the Levites. So now we've got priests and Levites and Jews. And of course, we see this in the, uh, in the Pesach ceremony, right? As you look at the Seder, we've got the Echad, right? Which would be, or even when we have the men coming up for the Aliyot. Who's the first guy called up? Right. He's got to be Cohen. And then next would be a Levite. And then after that, just any Jew, right? Any other Israelite. Can you think of anything else that God would have separated in the Word of God? Yes? Uh, I was going to say firstborn from it. Good. Yeah, it didn't use this word. I thought about that. That's good. That's good. Uh, Nida. Nida. Yeah, you think about that, but he didn't use this word either. You know, stay away from her in this time. No, no, no. Did you go the right way? The cities of refuge from all the other cities. Moses does this twice. First the three cities outside the land, and then the three cities inside the land. Cities of refuge? Who can help with the cities of refuge? Noah. What are we talking about? Cities of refuge? It sounds like I'm running. Yeah, places to flee when you kill someone accidentally. Okay, so I commit manslaughter accidentally. i got to have a place to go. How long do I have to stay there? Until the high priest dies. Hmm. Now, we talked several weeks ago, we talked several months ago, about the corruption of the priesthood that happened right around the time of the Maccabees and that, uh, that whole time of Hanukkah and how we got into this period of having folks in charge, kingship and priesthood, that didn't fall into either category according to God's word. And you had the priesthood changing and yet the guy didn't die. He wasn't high priest for the rest of his life. So that really causes a problem for these guys sitting in the cities of refuge. Yes, sir? How does that feel like, let's say, a guy with manslaughter, he has to flee. Yes. The brother won't be able to... The blood avenger. Right. Right. So, Which is a, an Italian mafia-type term. That's correct. <laughs> the brother... So the high priest either passes away or is replaced. Yes. That means he can come back, but how does that... Does that mean that at that point the brother is now not allowed to? Yes. It means that he no longer has the Torah behind him, the force of law, to take the life. Of course, you could tell, hey, come to the gate, let me talk to you. <laughs> so, in that case, if he, were to, if he were to avenge his brother's blood at that time, then he would need to get into the city of refuge because that brother's brother... And this is what causes these feuds, you know? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a wonderful thing. Now, in the case of the manslayer running to the city of refuge, who in fact has not committed manslaughter but has committed murder, the elders of the city are to take that bad boy out and bring him back. Yes, sir? Just on that notion of the, the criteria that the high priest had to die before he could leave the city of refuge, uh, to me there's a, a, a really cool picture of Messiah in that, in that because um, it's as if, you know, it, it, if you assume for a moment, with the exception of our, our, the, the period of time that uh, Joseph has already pointed out, Assume for a moment that the high priest was a Zadik. That's a fairly good assumption, right? Nine times out of ten. Right. Then um, it's almost as if the person who committed the 
involuntary manslaughter, he, it's almost as if his uh, sin, as it were, were, is not completely atoned for until the Zadik, namely the high priest, dies, because we know the death of the righteous atones, atones for the righteous. Right. Right? Which, of course, is a great parallel to our high priest uh, in Messiah Yeshua. So, uh, because it wasn't until his death, as it were, that our, our sin was atoned for in, in, in its totality. Right? Isn't it beautiful? I mean, it's, it's a great deal. As much as we meddle with God's intention and God's design, we muddy the waters of the pictures of Messiah, which He has put in place for us to teach our children and for us to know and to learn. Amen? That's right. Good. Okay. Yes, we move on. What about a failure to separate? We see this in the Word of God. I think of uh, Isaiah. I think of uh, Ezra, Nehemiah. So I've got some of these to uh, make you recognize that God's serious about this separation and maintaining these things. And we move through them very quickly here. Ezra chapter 9 and verse 1. We open. After these things had been done, the officials approached me and said, Yikes, we've got a problem. Sorry. The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites. Well, here we have some of the separation that we've already read in the Word of God, right? We've got the people of Israel, we've got the priests, and we've got the Levites. They've not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands. Well, that's the, that's the other separation we already saw. That there would be Jew and Gentile. That God's people would be different from the world. The people of the lands with their abominations from the Canaanites, the Hittites, Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. So the officials recognize we've got a problem. We are the people of God, and yet we seem to be like everyone else. That's not good. And I, I don't know, I think I've seen that somewhere in my day, where the people of God appear to be just like the world. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Your mileage may vary. Pete? Thank you. Isaiah 59.2 and one more time. Thank you. In Isaiah, he says, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Well, this is a separation we don't want. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. I think this is an extraordinary verse and one that we should memorize. If you spend any time speaking with others about their sin, their relationship or lack thereof with God, um, or if you're talking to someone who claims to have a relationship and, uh, and they're in known sin, uh, this certainly can be an opportunity to correct their behavior. Okay, Pete, next one. You'll need two swipes, please. It is a little warm in here, so I'm going to use my uh, nest to just cool us off a bit. And here comes the AC. Ezra chapter 10 and verse 11. Now then, make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do His will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the foreign wives. You're familiar with this very controversial passage as Ezra actually recommends 
actually demands that they separate themselves and they put away their foreign wives. Really uh, sticky wicked, as it were, when you're uh, dealing with the whole, uh, does God hate divorce? You bet he does. So he's, uh, he's serious, though, about the separation, even more so. Again, uh, in Nehemiah 9.2, you know these guys are contemporaries, right? Ezra and Nehemiah, they're working together. One's the scribe, and one is acting as the leader of the people. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Why? Because this tzaddik named Ezra, his biography is in the Word of God. It's extraordinary. A man to live up to, a man to emulate, a great mentor. Um, They followed that advice and the advice of Nehemiah and they confessed their sins and they separated themselves and they began to be holy. So, failure to separate could be a real problem. Pete? Everybody with me? We okay? Yep. Alright. There is hope of no separation and of course this is a great one for those of us who were not born Jews. Anyone born as a Jew? Nobody here. Okay. Isaiah 56 and verse 3, Let not the foreigner, that would be us, who has joined himself to the Lord, that would really be us, say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. No, he shouldn't have to say that. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. These are both false statements. There is hope that we will not be separated from the people of God. And that chapter goes on to some extraordinary blessings and promises from God to us who have been joined to Israel. That's right. Forget that divine invitation. All right? So, we've talked about... Yes, sir? I was just going to make a comment. And it's amazing how this is envisioned in Messiah Yeshua, that the Gentiles will be grafted into the commonwealth of Israel. Amen. And it's. I think it's pictured here, it's realized there, right? You remember there... There's no difference before the cross versus after the cross. This is his design from the very beginning. That he would choose a people and there would come salvation through that people, for that people, and by that people. It's as simple as that. I think it's really fascinating sharing this passage with people in in the church because in in the context it's talking about the observance observance of of Shabbat, the Sabbath. It's a biggie here. Yeah. That they're taking hold of the covenant by keeping and observing the Sabbath. Amen. Because this, the Sabbath is an eternal covenant between God and His people, right? We say that every Shabbat as we go through the prayers. Which really flies in the face of some of the Orthodox party line that Gentiles shouldn't be keeping the Sabbath. And we heard that when the rabbi was here, you know, and he was okay with us keeping as long as it wasn't 100%. And as I'm, long as it's just y'all and not the I'm waiting, I'm waiting on a response. Shall not separate from me from his people. And, and the, the, the interesting thing about this verse is it's nonsensical if there is a supersession or a replacement. A replacement, right. that's right. How can I be separated from his people? I mean, is that us anyway? Yeah, yeah. Right, wait, wait, we, are we his people? Yeah, good. That's excellent. It, it is a, a slam dunk on that, and that's, that's a great thing to point out. All right, we're almost uh, done here. We now have people groups that have been defined. I want to talk about this. You have got Jew and Gentile. From the beginning, that's what the story is about, right? I mean, he calls out one guy and says, I'm going to make a nation from you, and I'm not only going to bless your people, 
but I'm going to bless the whole world through your seed. Singular. Okay? So Jew and Gentile. What are the people groups that we have now based on what we've seen so far from the Word of God? Israelite and Levite. I think I got that one next. Let's hope so. Yes, priest and Levite versus the Jew or the Israelite. Exactly right. What's next? Okay, it's, it's pretty much in the same deal. Second? Yeah, someone who's clean, someone who's unclean. Yeah, but is it a people group? I don't know, there'd be a group, right? Yeah, I live amongst the people of unclean, unclean lips. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I could not come up with any other people groups. I mean, there's one main people group, Jew and Gentile. And then within Jew, we've got a subset. A subset. None, of, none of the forms that we fill out were... Right, Caucasian. Yeah, Baptist. Yeah, yeah. Protestant. We also say that within within Gentile, couldn't we break that down between so between Ger, you know, Ger Zadik, Ger Tokshav, and you know, we I think we could, Greg, but I wouldn't, because I think if I've joined myself to Israel, I'm still a Gentile, no matter what you want to call me. No question. So I'm not. I don't think that God ever defines a people group called Ger. The people group is Gentile. But now the Ger is associating with the Jew. Right? So, no doubt, those, those categories exist. I just don't think they're people groups. And I think we blur the lines and we confuse people even more. When we try and say, well, I'm not a goy, now I'm a gay. Well, all those things are true. But the bottom line is, and, and you know, you, more than anybody else here, would punch the ticket on Gentile every time, right? We're going to stand with the Jew. But whether the Orthodox guy wants to believe that I come up out of the water now as a Jew or not is completely irrelevant. The bottom line is, God made this little Italian a Gentile. And nothing I say, nothing I do, will change the fact that he made me a Gentile and I am living proof that he's fulfilling his promise to Abraham by blessing this little bad Italian. The question doesn't particularly speak to the people, but I wanted to address this to Greg. When we talk about Gerrit Toshav and Gerrit Sadiq, uh, and then there's another one. No, just the Goy. No, free. When we talk yeah. about Nebula, like a carcass is found in the field, you could sell it to the foreigner, but you wouldn't sell it to the the the, uh, the Shav. So what's the distinction between the Gertu Shav and the Gertu Sadiq? Actually, the one verse you brought up is the only time it's ever it's, there's ever a blurring of the lines. There's no question Gertu Shav is always used in positive, except that one time. Mm-hmm. Numbers, was there numbers? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's in the, it's in the kosher stuff. You know. Yeah. All right. So, can you think of any other people groups in the Word of God? Can you think of any other people groups that man has made up? Between men and women, possibly. Okay. Um, people, I think, would count both genders. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't do the gender thing, but that's a good thought. And you're going along the lines that I'm looking for. Um, where is slave? That's what I was thinking. Slave and free, right? 
And, you know, it's interesting, God doesn't do that separation. Man does. Man does that separation, and in fact, God provides for ways that the slave can become free. After a certain amount of time, you're out, and you just taught about it with the all in the ear thing, and, you know, I choose to be... Well, you didn't just teach about it. I was listening to his uh, head covering class, which was, uh, what, a year ago now? Six months? Whatever it was. But, you know, so I feel like it was just yesterday. Um, it actually was just yesterday. I was looking, so anyway, uh, yeah, with the head covering class, he's talking about the, the uh, bond servant and, and how the bond servant takes the all in the ear, you know, and he chooses to remain a bond slave. But yeah, but that's man-made. What else you got? I have trouble separating it out of the first one. I realize that not all Jews... Not all are Israel, there are Israel. Exactly, and they need to be circumcised. But I don't see God making that a category. In the apostolic well, you know, if it's in the apostolic writings, it needs to be somewhere in the Torah or the Tanakh. And I, I think he speaks to his people. And I think that would be a great way of putting it. Um, I would say, instead of making up a new ecclesia category, I would question if the guy's really in the Jew category. If he's not one of the people of God. Because he's put out of the assembly. But I like it. I like it. What else? Now you're missing a biggie. Missing a biggie. Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 and 15. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. Who, who chooses the king? Hashem. Hashem. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you, because we've already looked at the people groups, Jew, Gentile, who is not your brother. Yes? You know, I just thought of this, uh, Herod. I'm sorry, did you say parrot? No, Herod. Herod, Herod, yes. Herod the Great? Right. Yes. Again, I was thinking Rome commissioned Herod to be king, not... The Jewish people, right? Because at first, when when I saw that, I was thinking of it. Never mind. Yep. Herod considered himself a Jew, unfortunately. Well, wasn't he married to a Jewess? He's also he was he was a apostle. Right. Okay. So the whole all of his family were forced. That's right, and uh, we that's right after the Maccabees. You know, we've got that, uh, the Idumeans and the... Uh... All right. So, who's going to ask for the king? The nation. The people are going to ask for the king. Who's supposed to choose the king? God is supposed to choose the king. And he has to be a... He needs to be a Jew. Absolutely. Absolutely. What do you get? King and subjects, right? King and subjects. 
Was this God's idea? Absolutely. Where am I in the Word of God? I'm in the Torah. Has any of this come to pass yet? Have they gone into land yet? Have they asked for the king yet? Then what would you call this? Prophecy. Prophecy. <laughs> and then you will say, when this comes to pass, then you will say, this is prophecy. So God did not get taken by surprise. Did they ask for a king? To whom did they ask? You did, my son. You did. I'll share that in a minute. First Samuel chapter 8, verses 4 and 5. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Shmuel at Ramah. And said to him, Behold, you are old. I just want you to know that other than the two guys that are on the couch, I don't really like to hear that. So, do something else if you need to describe me. You're old. Now, this part would bother me. And your sons do not walk in your ways. I think multi-generational faithfulness just got blown away. That's a problem. Whose responsibility is that? It's your responsibility. For his family, it was his responsibility. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. We got a real problem here, right? Now, this sounds exactly like what God said would happen. Is that a coincidence? God's a He is a genius. Okay. I think they see a problem and they've come up with a solution. What's the problem? Samuel's about to die and his sons are not uh, not worthy or or, don't have what it takes to lead the nation like Samuel. Amen. Now, is this unique in their day that a man of God would have children that live like hell? No. It, it seems to be the norm. Do you ever wonder why? There's an easy answer. Men are stupid. Men are stupid, in general. God doesn't have grandchildren. God doesn't have grandchildren. It's very cute. I like that. Yes. No, that's not the answer. The answer is that God never intended for professional theologians. He never intend, intended for people to have a professional job like this. He had prophets. He had judges. But the pastor's kids and the missionary kids tend to fall by the wayside because the men are so focused on their job. They don't take care of job number one. And job number one is their family. If you're taking notes and you're younger than me, write it down. So, The people see a problem as great as Samuel was. If you're celebrating Purim, is there anybody not celebrating Purim? How many of you are like, um, well, atheists? No, nobody. Okay. I'm just checking. So, so, 
we're about to hear about this in Purim and about Samuel and about his zeal for God. What a shame that in the entire Bible, from Genesis to the maps, you may only find one man who doesn't have anything said bad about him who happens to be a dad and only one other man who has nothing bad said about him. Who are those two men? Joseph is the dad. We don't seem to have anything bad about Joseph. And even in dire times, even when he's outside the land, even when he's in a different world, he still raises his sons to keep the Torah. An incredible thing. In fact, he did so well, we bless our sons by his sons' names. Who's the other guy? Daniel. Daniel. Exactly right. How do I know Daniel wasn't a father? Who cared for this guy when he got there? Yeah. Yeah. He was, uh, he was taken care of by the head of the eunuchs. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm assuming it was a double. <laughs> Since you already had it. Yeah, okay. Let's move on, son. So what was the plan? <coughs> Judges, chapter 8, verses 22 and 23. Gideon. Gideon's good. The men of Israel says to Gideon, rule over us. Come on, you and your son and your grandson also. Whoa. There's multi-generational faithfulness. For you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Bad reason to have a guy rule over you. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you and my son will not rule over you. Who's supposed to rule over you? The Lord will rule over you. There's another prophecy. huh? Isn't that great? That's what's supposed to happen. So God says, you're going to ask for a king. Here's how you need to do that. I don't think we have in Deuteronomy any indication whether that's good or bad. I think the casual reader, reading chronologically, would come to the conclusion that this is going to happen. Well, yeah, God said it. But there's no indication of whether it's good or bad. Here, right after we finish the Torah, we get into Judges. And Gideon says, the Lord will rule over you. That's how it's supposed to be. Well, that sort of flies in the face of what God said. So you start to wonder. You following me? You with me? 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people. It's okay. I know. You're all ticked off at them. It's okay. Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you. They have rejected me from being king over them. What kind of a government did we have to this point? Theocracy. We had a theocracy, and we had judges that were providing voice to the rule of God to the people and law enforcement. Okay? So, God is making it clear his prophecy in Deuteronomy was evidently not a good thing. Gideon had it right. The Lord is to rule over his people. That's why they're called his people. Just a thought. 
guess a couple things. I mean, I guess if you try to put yourself in the position of the people, you could look and see, all right, the whole the whole judges thing. That was that was a little tough. All that well, you know, it was, it was up and down. And some of those judges were really long-haired, freaky guys. Right. So, so on the one hand, you could say you could understand how people would say, okay, you know, this judge thing, and it's kind of worked, kind of hasn't, you know. But those people over there. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, but we want to be like them, and we want to have a king um, that we can touch and feel. Exactly. And of course. They want a king like the nations have. And so then Hashem, as it were, relents and says, go ahead, give them what they want because they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. But again, I I see, you see this uh, incident here in Samuel and then you see down. Well, now, don't be jumping ahead now. Down the road, you see. God, what makes... If you want a king, I'm going to be your king. What, what makes God powerful? Define power. His will comes Sovereign. to pass even with our free will. His will comes to pass in spite of my sin. In spite of my disobedience, He still makes His will come to pass. That's powerful. That's amazingly powerful. So, he's indicating here, they've rejected him. That's sin. And yet, as we're going to see in just a minute, God is going to use their sin, our sin, in order to bring glory to himself. You, then you. I was just going to say, it's an amazing thing how he uses our, <clears throat> our sin to hasten his redemptive plan. Amen. You know, that it doesn't inhibit or it doesn't uh, prevent God from you know, seeing that his plan will be fulfilled. It only makes it happen that much faster. And I think brings him glory for it. I think so. We see we see this earlier as well with, um, with Moses. When, when Moses uh, is with uh, Hashem on Sinai, and uh, the people are afraid at the very mm. beginning, just before Exodus 20. It's like, holy cow, we don't want to hear that anymore. We, we can't stand, we will die if we hear that voice again. You please go for us. Um, we see that same thing played out because uh, they're unwilling to accept God as their they're they're unwilling to accept a direct inter- interaction right. or relationship with God. They need an they intermediary. Or they want someone in between. God says what they've spoken. Moses is about upset by this. God says what they've spoken is it's good. And he brings both of these together. Their rebellion. Right. To him and their, their, perhaps not inability, but lack of desire to interface directly with him, and yeah. and brings it and yeah and brings it together. It's really cool is how this whole scenario plays out, and that what Samuel th- brings forth the sign that, that it thunders. Yeah. Well, here we here we go in First Samuel twelve, verse seventeen. Shortly after that, is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great. It's not unlike what happened with 
Eliyahu, right? As he's arguing with the uh, prophets of Baal and says, you know, come on, call him. Maybe your God is busy. Maybe he's in the, in, the, in the latrine. I mean, I don't know what's up here, but, you know, cut some stuff, bleed a little bit, you know, so make it work. Which, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So, a sign from God, the voice of the prophet, and the voice of God. Yeah, and on Shabbat. So, no matter how you look at it, we've got some great signs. We can flesh this out and see some amazing things pointing to our Messiah. But the bottom line is here, God's bringing it all together. 1 Samuel 12 and verse 19, two verses later, all the people said to Samuel, pray for your service to the Lord your God that we may not die. Oh my goodness. Well, it's the same thing they said at Sinai. For we have added to all our sins on the same day. It's exactly right. We have, for we have added to all our sins this evil. What is the evil that we've added? To ask for ourselves a king. They have rejected me. Yes, sir. So by them saying, I'm just looking at the words here, pray for your servants to the Lord your God, only prefaces the fact that they rejected Hashem. Yeah. They, they definitely see themselves on the outside of the camp here. This is, a, this is problematic. I'm thinking this is a bad thing. You bet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, after, after what Samuel said, I'd be kind of considering myself on the outside as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he didn't, this guy didn't hold back at all. What a shame that there wasn't a Samuel's son and another son and another son to keep this line going. That didn't happen. But God turned it for good and that the result is that we ended up with another category, right? King and subjects. And we see that God will in fact rule over his people. That, that God himself will be the king. And we will be his subjects. And then we get the Davidic monarchy and we get another category thrown in as we then have a king. I think we've got one last slide. The proof is that the king is God himself. Messiah is the king and he is God. Um, Pete was reading to me uh, the other day from uh, Common Sense by Thomas Paine. And, uh, you know, he was he's reading there on the couch. He stops and he, he's like, this is great. Paine is knocking the monarchy and saying that the monarchy is something that man designed. But if they looked at it, they would recognize that the monarchy itself is a proof of the divinity of Messiah. If you read Deuteronomy and Samuel and Gideon's uh, comments in Judges, you recognize that God says, you're going to ask for a king. I'm going to rule over you. In essence, God is saying, you want that intermediary. You want that mediator? You want a king? You want, you want a guy you can, you can touch and handle, talk to, you can see face to face, you can watch him eat? He makes great fish, by the way, for breakfast. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be your king. You want to reject me from being your king? I'm going to be your king. It's an amazing thing. If you put it all together, 
whether you're talking to an Orthodox Jew or you're talking to someone in the church or you're talking to someone on the fringe who may claim to be a Christian but denies the divinity of Messiah. This is a great argument. It really is. It's undeniable. God himself not only provided a Messiah, he provided a king. The sacrifice and the king. Not two messiahs, but one messiah who comes twice. He will come and reign over us, and he will be our king. And all the world will come and bow the knee to this king. Not because he's a great king, not because he's got a lot of money, not because he's got a lot of power. They will because he's God. And if you don't come up and pay him homage, especially during Sukkot, you don't get any rain. Because this king doesn't just handle the affairs of men. The whole world is held together by his very will. He is the one who brings the early and the late rains or withholds it. Amen? Amen. All right. Comments? Please. In, in uh, Tehillim, uh, Psalm 132, verse 11, uh, it says, The Lord, this is in Catholic, this is Yod-Hei-Bav-Hei, has sworn in truth unto David, he will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I sit upon thy throne. Here the I, obviously the antecedent of the I is Yod-Hei-Bav-Hei. Amen. What a, what a, I, I should have had that as a, another verse here, just as more fodder on top of it. It's not just uh, an ethereal promise here and there. But it's very clear. Yeah. Alright? Good. Well, let's take a break. Have some cookies, some coffee, some water. And we'll come back.